refreshing burst of traditional Polish music might be appropriate to introduce my first guest. My name is Andrzej Rońca. Uh, now I, I'm professor at Warsaw School of Economics. Uh, I used to be a member of uh, Monetary Policy Council at the National Bank of Poland. Andrzej is visiting Australia at the moment to talk about growth, the European Union and monetary policy. But he's also meeting with economists at the Reserve Bank of Australia, so I asked him what the similarities are in economics for both of our countries. Both our countries managed to grow even during the acute phase of global financial crisis. But now in both countries, the situation, I would say, become more and more difficult. Both the National Bank of Poland and the Federal uh, reserve in in Australia lowered uh, the interest rates to very low level. Before 2008, uh, this level of interest rates uh, has almost never uh, been observed. So uh, both our banks are in better uh, position than most other central banks. Uh, however, we have no too much room for ma- maneuver uh, as well, at least by historical standards. Uh, at the same time, in Poland, we have this uh, irresponsible or at least uh, very risky fiscal policy in Australia. My reading is that uh, you have credit boom and, and bu- bu- bubble on, on the housing market. And uh, so I'm quite interested to, to, to learn how Federal Reserve uh, uh, want to deal with this uh, problem. Both our countries are, are exposed to external shocks. Uh, the Polish economy is uh, more open than Australian economy. There are more tradable goods made in Poland than in Australia. But, you know, Australia de- depends strongly on, on, on China. And there is, as I've already mentioned, a still risk of, of hard landing in China. Uh, you have to address the problem of uh, growing uh, private credit and uh, the problem of uh, this fast growth of house prices. At the same time, Australia for many years uh, had this uh, uh, surplus in in public uh, finances. However, after the GFC, the the fiscal policy in in Australia uh, has changed uh, as well. In my opinion, Australia uh, would be more resilient to very likely external shocks uh, if uh, public finances in Australia were as strong as they used to be uh, before the GFC. But still, I I think that uh, in Poland, these problems uh, are more severe than in Australia. Low growth seems to be a common theme around the world at the moment. What in particular about Europe or certain European countries do you find concerning when it comes to growth? You know, I'm concerned uh, with the fact that this growth is slow. Economies uh, in Europe are very open economies. Uh, GDP, uh, export to GDP ratio in uh, Europe is much higher than uh, in any other region of world economy. And European economies are more exposed to external shocks. However, neither the private sector nor the public sector are prepared for these external shocks. Private sector has not restructured yet after the GFC. Uh, 
uh, the public sector uh, has no powder dry left uh, for any emergencies. You know, uh, uh, sovereign debt uh, in the European Union amounts to about 90% of GDP in five countries. Uh, it exceeds uh, 100% of GDP. Interest rates are close to zero. So uh, the situation is uh, quite risky. And the same, uh, this weak, uh, the, the structure of this uh, weak growth uh, is not conducive to the sustainability of uh, the European Union, uh, because uh, especially in the case uh, of old EU uh, countries, uh, uh, poorer uh, countries uh, has been growing slower than a richer one. Uh, so Europe is exposed to external shocks. Europe needs uh, reforms to strengthen its growth. However, the political environment to introduce uh, market reforms uh, is uh, not favourable. What sort of external shocks do you envision might upset Europe at the moment? Brexit is, is, is a very important uh, shock and this shock is, uh, I would say, uh, sure. So the, the uh, probability of this shock is close to 100%. I think that uh, uh, there is no chance that uh, the UK uh, will remain in uh, in the EU. These uh, European countries uh, trade mainly within uh, uh, the European Union. Due to these strong trade ties, other countries uh, will be hit other possible shocks. Uh, uh, there is uh, still high risk of uh, hard landing of China, or at least of further deceleration of growth in China. What do you think is the role of Germany in terms of the post-financial crisis? Do you think Germany is taking too much of a role within the EU? I would say that uh, blaming Germany for, for, for problems of uh, other European uh, Union countries uh, is uh, incorrect. Uh, I think that uh, most EU countries are strongly dependent uh, on uh, German exports. So Germany should care about its uh, competitiveness because other uh, EU countries depend more on uh, German export than on domestic demand in Germany. On top of that, in past few years, uh, I would say domestic demand in, in, in Germany uh, has been actually growing quite fast. I would prefer other EU countries to run more balanced uh, uh, fiscal policy rather than Germany running more expansionary fiscal policy. You've mentioned fiscal reform. What's your opinion on the type of unconventional monetary policy that's being used by some of the major central banks at the moment to try and deal with some of the challenges post the global financial crisis? So uh, I think that uh, this unconventional monetary policy was uh, needed at the, at the onset of financial crisis and uh, this unconventional monetary policy uh, prevented uh, collapse uh, uh, just after the outburst of a global financial crisis. But the longer this unconventional monetary policy 
uh, is run, the more costs appear, and uh, there is a risk that these costs have already outweighed the benefits of uh, unconventional monetary policy. European economy, but also global economy, needs growth. And growth uh, is, uh, in the longer term, growth depends uh, uh, on productivity and uh, on innovations. With interest rates close to zero, uh, it's really impossible to go bankrupt or almost impossible to go bankrupt. When there are little bankruptcies, uh, then capital and labor are trapped uh, in, in existing uh, applications. Uh, so starting new business becomes more difficult. When there are little entries, then there is no pressure on incumbents uh, to restructure and to, to introduce uh, uh, innovations. And uh, still worse, there is a parallel between low intens intensity of restructuring and uh, fall in social mobility. When there are little bankruptcies, then rich people have to make less effort uh, to remain rich. And when it becomes more difficult to enter the market, the poor have lower chances than in the past of uh, lifting themselves out of poverty. When you're talking about restructuring, what sort of restructuring needs to happen? And can you give a specific example of that? Growth in general is fueled by creative destruction. Restructuring means that if there is unproductive entity, this entity goes bankrupt, labor and capital used by this entity is freed and start being used by new entities. And uh, now we, we do not observe bankruptcies. We had, uh, uh, you know, the deepest crisis since 1930s, and uh, the bankruptcy rate is at the level, at, at the lowest level ever, both in Europe and in the US. That's Professor Andre Reutzer from the Warsaw School of Economics, who's visiting Australia at the moment. Why don't you just ask an economist? I'm Sarah Taylor. I'm from Melbourne. And I'd really like to know what the unemployment percentages mean and whether there's more than one. So when we hear this X percent unemployment, does that mean how many people there are who are receiving unemployment benefits? And what happens when people who are unemployment benefits then move to a different kind of benefit or receive no benefits? What are the numbers that get reported? And is there a number that economists are really interested in regardless of what um, politicians want to put out there as far as a, a good news or, or spin story? So it's a great question. And one of the, the first things that was asked was, uh, is unemployment defined by uh, reference to benefits that are being received? And that's, that's not really how the Australian Bureau of Statistics calculates it, although it would be natural to think that they might. Um, the way they do it is they do a thing called the Australian Labor Force Survey, and they ask people essentially three questions. Were you working more than one hour last week? Were you actively looking for work in the previous four weeks? And would you be available to start work? Would you have been available to start work 
last week. And if you fall, fall down on all three of those things, then you're classified as unemployed. And that's basically the way that it's done internationally. The International Labour Organization has standards that are consistent with those, and that's the way the ABS basically figures out whether you're unemployed or not. Now, having, having said that, would you be available to start work obviously has a link to the way that unemployment benefits are structured in Australia. What about people who are working but not working as much as they would like to? And that's what economists refer to as underemployment. So they're employed, they're probably not um, eligible for benefits, they may or may not be eligible for benefits. These people might be working two days a week but would like to work three days or four days or five days a week. And they're typically not going to be classified as unemployed even though they'd like to work, they'd like to work more. And that's very hard to get a handle on. And that's been one of the things that over the last, you know, seven or eight years since the financial crisis, people around the world have been really concerned about that the seemingly low unemployment figures in, say, Australia or the US uh, might be masking some big trend of underemployment. Basically, you're always going to have people searching for jobs. You, you in fact, want people searching for jobs. If people weren't um, sometimes looking around for, for employment, then they might not be matched to the best job. They might just you know, stay in one job forever and maybe there's something that they would enjoy better or another employer who would find their skills more valuable. And so you wouldn't expect to see even in an ideal world uh, for there to be, say, zero unemployment or something like that. I, I would say if you wanted a rule of thumb, if we got to an uh, unemployment rate of 4.5% in Australia, you may as well call that full employment. If you'd like to ask a question for Ask an Economist, write it down or record it and email it to ask at theconversation or one word dot edu dot au. That's ask at theconversation dot edu dot au. Business Briefing's theme music is by Ben Sound. My name is Jenny Henderson. I'm a business and economy editor at The Conversation. And you can find more business briefing on our website or by subscribing via iTunes.